Hey, everybody. Bill, how you doing? Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here for episode number 127 of Tech Sales Insights. Really excited to have today Bill Walsh, who's uh, SVP of Global Business Operations at, uh, I, I say Dell EMC. I know you're supposed to say Dell, but you know, I got my uh, my, my e- EMC heritage, so I, I just can't shake it. And um, I, I, I won't ask you to comment, but I guess you're really the wind beneath the wings of uh, Bill, Billy Scannell. <laughs> I've been known to be that. Yeah, yeah. No, Billy's awesome. Love working with the guy for so many years. Amazing, amazing, crazy. So, I tell him you should write a book on how to survive and thrive in a lot of different environments. But yeah, you, you start with survival. <laughs> God, God bless him. Anyway, our uh, title topic today is driving sales productivity. So uh, you're certainly uh, the, the the master in several ways of that. Uh, we're also sponsored today by the Alexander Group. So uh, thank you to Alexander Group. Uh, at, at a high level, if you think about Bain, McKinsey, that I would argue are kind of more white collar. Um, Alexander Group is really the blue collar version of that and a lot more specific and a lot more helpful around your go to market planning, comp, structure, comparables, all things like that. And I know, um, you know they've helped uh, you know, Dell EMC for uh, a long time as well uh, with a lot of your folks, Bill. Um, what else? Oh, also for a sales community, uh, Tucker, maybe you can post it for those that are members. Thank you very much. For those that are not, uh, Tucker will put up a uh, free link. You can go to salescommunity.com and on the website, either hit spring free or you can hit the uh, spring free link that is shown here. Uh, so getting on with it. Um, so Bill lives uh, outside Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, interests, uh, besides work and family, uh, is a, a growing golfer. So I think, you know, l- like me, you can, uh, get a birdie or par or, uh, s- several strokes over. So, uh, usually pretty, pretty helpful getting some, some dots in the, uh, in the golf tournaments. And, um, although we were, we were talking before, you know, although we've known, known of each other for a long time, we've only uh, recently met, but I certainly can vouch that you're, uh, Highly respected and have done an amazing job in a huge, fast-paced and uh, high-growth environment of uh, of EMC and the, and then Dell. Uh, by way of introduction, I also have a uh, some nice comments from Dan Campbell. Uh, Dan says Bill is the OG of modern business operations. He moved from traditional sales ops to combining sales ops, sales finance, and marketing ops into business ops 20 years ago. So I guess uh, you're ahead of your time. What was now considered RevOps, you, you already had that structure 20 years ago. Yeah, we did. We did sort of it kind of pulled it all together back because we thought it made sense. Awesome. Uh, and Dan goes on to say he had teams building intelligent pivot tables out of multiple Salesforce and Oracle platforms and publishing BI reports using PowerPoint and Adobe long before the modern business ops tool sets. In addition, he's a great partner to sales teams and coming up with creative ways to win through competitive deals. If there was a master class for business ops, Bill would teach the class. Uh, how about very that? kind of Dan. Uh, very good. So anyway, Dan, thanks. Uh, Dan and Dan's uh, re- recently uh, gone over to uh, Arrow, I think in a uh, president capacity running the Americas or North America or, or something like that. So. Uh, all right. We have a couple of comments. We have Tucker behind the scenes helping as always. So Tucker, thank you so much. Uh, we have Ted from Alexander Group that says, thanks for the nice comments, Randy. Obviously, Ted, very well deserved. 
And uh, Jesse says, great interview here. Uh, we'll see. Je Jesse, you're uh, passing judgment before we actually do it, but uh, hopefully you're, you're foreshadowing well. And for those that are uh, uh, following along, you can see us or hear us. We cannot see you. Uh, we can see what you post. So feel free to uh, make any comments or ask any questions as well, and uh, we'll do our best to get to it. So jumping right in here. So, um, Bill, what about starting off with your uh, professional background after Bentley? Uh, what was your first job? So I went to Bentley, uh, Bentley College back in the day and uh, got out of there as a finance major. And my first job was with a company called Denison Computer Supplies, the original floppy disk manufacturer. I'm dating myself. Um, did that for about five years and then made my way to digital equipment. Um, spent a number of years at digital, um, both in finance and operation kind of roles. Did a couple tech startups back in those days, left and came back. And then was recruited into EMC back in the late 90s. Um, initially sort of running sales operations North America and then sort of grew it from there. So been, uh, been a fun ride for, for, for a number of years. Awesome. I've been looking, I think you're all in about 25 years and it kind of 25 years, August. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's been, been, been fun. I've enjoyed, I, and I, I've enjoyed most every minute, put it that way. Excellent. Ever, ever, ever eventful, uh, for sure. So maybe get a, get a nice watch or something like that. Um, so as you look back, um, in your kind of your, I'll say your ops capacity, are there kind of one or two things that you think in particular have uh, made you successful? Well, you know, I think there's a couple different things. I think, um, it comes back to the old, old adage that many of us learned early on. I mean, at the end of the day, it's that staying power, that ability to stick with things, to, you know, to, to work hard, to show up every day, be hanging around the hoop. And then really to put yourself, you know, me supporting sales organizations, I tried to look at the work through the eyes of sales and made sure that I was really there to support them because ultimately we need them out there doing what they do best. So that's how I sort of viewed the work. And that's what made me sort of propel the way I was able to. Awesome. Great. And uh, we have our title topic is driving sales productivity. So a, a lot of things obviously c come underneath that, but kind of at a, at a high level, kind of how, how do you think about it? Look, at, I mean, you know, we've been on um, we've been on this journey for many years, both at EMC and in, in, in Dell. And ultimately, the mission has been to try to drive, drive top line at a much faster rate than we're driving OPEX. And over these past number of years, a lot of companies made huge investments in operating costs, you know, supporting sales. And now we're looking to get that payback. So sort of the mission that we've been under um, for, for the last five years at Dell and prior is, you know, how do we transform our go-to-market motion to drive incremental sales productivity? And that's whether it's driving growth or whether it's unstacking coverage or whether it's getting... Um, more effective channel programs, but it's been, it's all oriented around, you know, how do we actually get better leverage out of our operating cost model? And, and, and it's not just driving revenue, obviously, it ultimately it's about driving margin dollars is what we've been on a mission to do. Awesome, that's great. So you mentioned uh, unstacking coverage. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, let me, let me back it up a little bit. I mean, the first thing that, you know, we've done, and I, I've talked to a number of other companies that are going through the same process is, you know, first of all, segmenting the market, making sure you have an ability to segment the market. Um, you know, we've used a fair amount of advanced analytics to go off and do that. 
we do it by line of business. We look at aggregate market opportunity. We look at share of wallet, but we segment the market. And then with that segmented market, it's one of those coverage models you need by market type. And can you maybe give some of the examples of the kind of how you view the... Yeah. So the way we view it, we have an enterprise segment. Typically, you know, we have about 3,000, you know, I'll talk about Dell now. We get about 3,000 accounts in that segment. Uh, these are big customers, um, complex solution buyers, typically. Um, they need a pretty sophisticated selling model with a number of people that are actually selling into those entities. You begin to go down the stack, we get into our corporate segment in our public sectors. They also can be complex, um, different characteristics, obviously with public than you'd have in some of the private. And then as you go down the stack further, you get into the mid, you know, medium business. Um, and so we orient our, our coverage models depending on the, you know, the size of the business and the complexity in the lines of business that we're selling. You go further on the stack, we predominantly are selling, you know, more velocity-based products. Um, you go up the stack, you're selling more complex solutions. Gotcha. And then the, you mentioned channel before, so you kind of can also segment and align channel partners. There might be some niche ones that maybe know financial services or have great accounts or ones that uh, CDW, SHI, connection, et cetera, that are maybe stronger in the SMB space. The WWT might be stronger at the global space. So you try and figure out, I guess, kind of Greg, uh, Greg. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, you know, you want your partners oriented to the solutions that you're selling by segment. And in our case, you know, we have predominantly a collab motion. So we collaborate with our partners. We are both calling on the end user, trying to bring the best value to the customer base as possible. Um, and look at it in, 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 in Dell, 50% of the business is through the channel, right? A lot of it is, is loving, you know, hand with our direct selling engine calling on the end user accounts. Awesome. And then trying to figure all that out also is the, always the, the art and the science around, you know, kind of how do you figure out ultimately the rep territories, right? So it's great from a corporate perspective, you want to do all this, but then you want to make sure you've got, you know, reps that aren't going to be either, you know, wrongly enriched or starve either. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we've actually, we, we spent a lot of time in this area because we, we came to the conclusion a number of years back that a well-formed territory, not only does a rep um, with a well-formed territory perform better, but with a well-formed territory, you get much better revenue lift, right. you know? And so we've looked at a lot of different attributes around how do you bring a territory together in a way that makes sense analytically. And it's, you know, it would be, you know, driving distance, it'd be size of account, it'd be common vertical, but there could be uh, applications that they leverage, customers leverage. But we try to build a territory that, um, first of all, needs to warrant the size of a rep. So when you have an outside sales rep covering a territory, it needs to be big enough that it can afford that coverage model. Um, but as best as possible, we want those territories to have similar characteristics because when they do, we get way better leverage out of them. No, no big surprise in that, but it's amazing how often territories aren't put together in a way that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And also, you know, always have to watch out, right? Because there's always different models year to year or every couple of years. And uh, how, how do you take into consideration the importance of that, you know, account relationship? So you may want to 
break the model and say, okay, we're going to go industry. But if you have somebody that has covers multiple ones and has a great relationship, you have to figure out, you know, how do you also value that uh, executive? Yeah, so we're really careful about that. And, and I know everybody else is as well, but that level of churn, we measure the churn, you know, in any given year, we want to minimize the level of customer relationship churn as much as possible. And when we do things like well-formed territories, we typically look at the outliers. What are the most egregious territories and how do we begin to get them aligned? Yeah. And then balancing that with the level of churn that makes sense, right? Um, you know, when Dell and EMC came together, we had a fair amount of churn early on, as you can imagine. And then so we've been very focused on minimizing that because, you know, ultimately the relationship is really what drives that business model. Yeah. And I'm sure, uh, I don't want to be saying anything you can't say, but I'm sure also you kind of, you know, EMC was set in their ways, Dell was kind of set in their ways. So, you know, obviously with Dell acquiring, there's probably some work there that needed to be done to, you know, figure out kind of, you know, how do you not break everything? Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you that um, it was it, it was more complimentary than you would have thought because of where EMC played and where Dell played typically. And, uh, and both had really strong sales forces, but we were able to, we had similar models and that we had an account executive that owned the entire relationship. And there was specialty, positions around that and how we organized that by segment came together in a, what I would consider a pretty reasonable way. Obviously there were displaced individuals on accounts because we could only have one account executive, uh, but we were able to manage through that pretty quickly. Um, the, the work really when it came together was as much around um, how do you organize countries? How do you organize segments? And we spent a lot of time driving what we call a globally consistent go-to-market motion. You know, we had, as a lot of companies, you know, the country models were king and every country ran it a little bit differently and it was really difficult to scale. So we, we put in place a, a much more globally consistent go-to-market motion, obviously allowing people to tweak things at a local level, but right. keeping it 90% the same. And that's one of the major benefits we get in scaling the operation in a more efficient way. Awesome. And then to go along with all that, then you have to make sure the right compensation plans in place that drive the right behavior, that reward the right behavior. Yeah. And we, um, you know, it's funny, I've been doing compliance for a long time. Um, and uh, within Dell, Michael Dell personally gets deeply involved in our compensation plans to ensure that the way that we had them organized, the, the strategies, the way we incent people, are directly aligned to the company strategy. And, and when we roll out quotas, you know, what we do is we want to roll them out to the business plan. So we, we have a very tight process to ensure that the sum of our quotas tied to our business plan. We don't let people overroll dramatically. We don't, we do not let people underroll. And we ensure that those compensation plans that are in place, and we measure them at a crazy level of detail, directly support what we're trying to achieve as a company. Um, so we, we, that's an area that we've spent a lot of time on. And, 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 and honestly, we do the same thing with our channel incentive plans, our rebate programs, also very much aligned with the way we want to compensate to make sure they align the company strategies. Absolutely. I always say the best thing a sales, any leader, but a sales leader can do is to make sure you've got fair comp plans. Do you have fair comp plans? They're motivated right. Everything's set. They want to overachieve. If you don't, wheels come off the bus, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's both, look, it's, it's having a fair comp plan, but one that is easily understood. Yeah. 
you know, I, I've got involved with comp plans that you had to be a rocket scientist to figure out what the hell was going on. And we need a comp plan that was simple, straight to the point, is transparent. And you can articulate easily why the comp plan set up the way it's set up. Yeah. So, now, you know, simple and transparent. Yeah. So for the size that you all are, um, when is the fiscal year start and kind of when do you have to have the territories locked and have the comp plans locked? Because it obviously requires a lot of pre-work. Yeah. So we do, um, our fiscal year starts in February. So we're on a February to, you know, February to February model. We, we set our quotas for most of the businesses twice a year. Um, for the smaller um, mid-market territories, we do those quarterly. And so we're, we, have, we have a pretty sophisticated shot clock that we drive against. So we're looking for, you know, about T minus 60 to get territories locked down. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to stay that way, you know, until the last, but at least get the fundamentals, make sure the fundamentals are in place. Um, so we'll begin. I mean, hey, look, right now we're in the middle of, are we going to make any adjustments to the next half comp plan? Right. So we're looking at that stuff now. Territories we lock down, we begin to lock them down T minus 60. And then obviously we allow changes right up to, you know, right up to about a week prior. But we roll our quotas. Um, again, we have 25,000 sellers. We get our quotas out in about, um, for our direct sellers and our sales reps, we want them out within three weeks of a quarter. Wow. So we're not, I mean, we're, you know, many, many, many companies our size are out there six, seven weeks. I mean, that's just not the way we operate. <laughs>